When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome. I just got a text. We were going to talk about something else for my mom. It's a photo of a dead squirrel Mm -hmm. (laughs) that my family dog just brought back and dropped at the foot of my dad's chair where he often sits. Yep. And we were just chatting. There's, There's these funny things that people say, like, humans are the only animals who kill for sport. We're the only ones who commit genocide and yeah, there, war and there's a weird and the p- people know how we stand on animal ethics and animal rights we tend to be very much proponents of it uh but people romanticize nature yes and demonize human and they they act like we are the only people who murder for sport have wars kill out of vengeance mm-hmm. and that's just not the case like yeah, nature yeah. is just as brutal in almost every way so bart was fed well this morning Went out, killed a squirrel, ate none of it, and brought it back. Mm-hmm. And it's no, and I think people just don't know this. There's <laughs> there's videos where a male zebra will drown baby zebras because they come from a different male. Yeah, and he, he wants only his babies around. Yeah, polar bears eat their young. Certain animals go to war. Chimps, chimps can do wars. Ant do ants do war. Anyway, it's it's not to say that they are worse than humans. No, no, we just, don't have to belabor it. Yeah. I just thought it was interesting. So yeah, we do sometimes have this hakuna matana life without humans would be absent suffering Mm -hmm. and that's just not how nature works which isn't to justify anything humans do that's fucked up but it's just interesting context yes so i I actually have a lot i was in a very heady zone this week a lot of reading and a lot of videos that's what happens when you don't have to make youtube videos (laughs) yeah so where do we start warren farrell i mentioned him to you I watched a video on YouTube from rebel wisdom with this guy warren farrell i'd heard of him before he's written a number of books including the myth of male power when I heard of him, it was, it was with negative connotation around his name. This is the guy who started all of that bitter incel stuff is kind of the... Yeah, he's evil. What I picked up sure. about him. And I watched this and was struck, because I, I recognize him, by how tender he was. And I mentioned to you, 20 minutes into the interview, he's kind of the guest of honor. There's one other woman, but he's by far the most famous. And there's a third panelist who is not famous. He goes, I just want to say you haven't had a chance to speak, like... You know, and he brings this third younger woman panelist in. And as he's telling his story, it becomes clear he was very active in, the, in second wave feminism in the 60s and is truly, it, he's like wants equality. Yeah. His view of it is that gender roles evolved based on survival needs and we have evolved past them. Mm-hmm. So all of these customs and norms, which included at the time, his first one was like, we don't have enough girls in sports. We don't have enough women in the professions. Not that they have to be, but they need to be given the same sort of freedom to enter these and social allowance. Like it shouldn't be looked down upon. So how did he switch from a very progressive <laughs> feminist, mm-hmm. like leading the feminist movement, feminist, to a men's right activist. So this is the story is he was in, he was on the board of now, which is a woman's organization uh, and started talking about equality for boys. And I forget exactly with regards to what, but you could imagine at the time it was, there was a male only draft and he was seeing, uh, I remember now what it was. It was that 
when it came down to kids in divorces, he was like, let's do what's best for the kids. And the organization, because they were represented by women, were like, no, let's make sure that mothers are the default custodians. Mm. And and that was where they split. And so he stopped getting invited to speak at feminist things. And his thing was not mothers shouldn't get <laughs> right. said the fact that your, your genitals shouldn't determine whether or not you get custody of a kid in a yes. divorce. And in fact, he was advocating in this case for less freedom for everybody. It's like you can't leave the state if you have a divorce. Like the, the child needs access to their mother and father frequently and mm-hmm. you shouldn't be able to pick up and leave. So he was very much advocating, which is funny because children are both growing to both men and women. He wasn't yeah. anti-women or anti-men. He was <laughs> he was pro the the most vulnerable aspect of this relationship, but was summarily uninvited from a lot of events, no longer allowed to speak. And that was when he moved into the men's rights stuff, which was the flip side of it. So if women need to be encouraged to be in the workplace, males should be allowed to be stay at home's dad without any sort of social pressure, uh, which I would say we haven't quite arrived at yet. Well, you would, you mentioned a little off air, but he's all, he also be a proponent of like splitting bills, 50, 50 women getting drafted. He, he really just wants everyone to be treated the same you don't even know the gender of someone. It's basically not in the real, like not when you're face to face, but in terms of the laws and mm-hmm. things like that, just don't have gender at all in law. Basically. I think, I think what he's saying, gender's roles served an important purpose for survival, but yeah. we have gotten past those. And he wants us to leave behind all of the old beliefs about what a man should do and what a woman should do insofar as they are no longer necessary to survival. So He talks about why we have women's studies but not men's studies. And then people respond, well, history is just men's studies. And I thought it was really interesting. He says, women's studies questions the female role. History sells the traditional male role of hero and performer. Women's studies tells women that they have the right to the traditional male role. Nothing tells men they have the right to the traditional female home, right to stay at home full of part time while the wife supports him. Um, And I thought it was interesting because while history, we do often talk about men, his point is that it doesn't question that the idea of a great man is Genghis Khan, <laughs> Alexander the Great, are people who, who Roosevelt. Yes, yes. There are no stay-at-home dads mm-hmm. in history class, and so he's saying, "Look, we can tell history, and we can include uh, the quote-unquote great women who uh, shaped Earth and, and and the geographic, not the geographic, the political climate that we're in." But what he's advocating for is a men's studies thing, which questions the male gender role yeah. of provider and and all of these the most interesting thing to me is how quickly he got demonized when he stuck with uh, equality (laughs) yeah (laughs) like because he was like all about equality all about equality and he's being lauded in the 60s and 70s yeah and then stuck with that line and quickly got demonized yes and what he says which i think is an interesting point and it's so unfortunate because it it just marks the tribalism is that he does seem to me someone who is who is interested in truth and is interested in what's best. So at one point he becomes a stepdad uh, to a kid, and he and for this purpose he starts researching like what's the best way to be a stepdad? What do I do? And what he finds is the number one thing that he can do as a stepdad is is facilitate a relationship between this child and their biological dad. Wow! <laughs> and he's like, I was uh, surprised, maybe a little bit disappointed to find that it wasn't about me. It was it was about this this connection with one's biological father. Even though male role models are important, there is some sense of like, who am I? Where's the person that looks like me? Where is the the pattern which I am following and what does that say about me? And if that is empty and it is just a male figure, that's better than nothing, but it it tends to correlate with worse outcomes. Is that true of sons and daughters? 
He says it is in his research. It is particularly pronounced with sons. Okay, because so the, the way you're describing it, says it, it negatively impacts both. The way you're describing it just made it seem like it was focused on sons. Because like, who am I supposed to emulate? Well, I assume mm. the daughter doesn't emulate her father in many yeah. cases. Well, I think this was actually a case of I think his stepchild was a, a girl. But in any event, it, it negatively impacts both people to not have both men and women to not have a relationship with their dad. So anyway, I took from that. I don't know. I don't know the guy personally. What a shitty takeaway if you're the stepdad. <laughs> well, it's not that you can't do anything. You can still have a positive impact but he's like and he said i was successful i was able to uh make make them have a closer relationship and ensure that the family did not drift away from the biological father uh so i take from that and again these could be all just be stories he tells to butter me up or whatever that he is genuinely interested in the truth uh of these things he's got a couple other interesting things feminism as being primarily about class he says if you look at second third wave feminism what it is optimizing for is freedom Right, they want freedom to the, the traditional male role, which he fully supports, or the traditional female role, which he fully supports, or a, a mix and none of these, which he fully supports. What he does note is that in its current capacity of like free love, I want to work, that is primarily an upper class thing, which is to say that if you're lower class and you tend towards free love, do whatever I want, you will wind up pregnant and you will not be able to pay someone to facilitate the the caretaking of that child versus if you're upper class, you're more likely to use birth control. If you do get pregnant, you're more likely to be able to pay an au pair or a nanny to take care of it. So he, he just comments on how uh, feminism, as we've seen it, as this total freedom uh, has problems and, is, and has been localized to one class and perhaps even more um, dangerous is seeking freedom from everything, which makes sense. But the one freedom that he does not want men or women either to be able to escape is the freedom from being an active parent. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's like, I'm all for freedom up until children are involved. And at that point, your freedom is needs to be severely curtailed. You can't leave the state. You can't do this. You can't move away from you. Like all of a sudden uh, the rights of the child supersede everything else. So it's just interesting. I'm only one chapter in. I can't talk too much about it. So I don't know if we should title this episode, the myth of, of male <laughs> power or the next one, but I've, I've just started reading it and it's very interesting. I find myself underlining often because hmm. there's a lot of things that I hadn't done, uh, thought about. Let me see if there's anything else in here real quick. Um, yeah, divorce, all that kind of stuff. Oh, just a handful of other things early on. We've mentioned this in the past. The idea of the, he talks about power dynamics. It's 1993. He's ahead of his time and he talks about how women in the workplace often perceive power dynamics as being male dominated because in the workplace in 1993 especially, power was held by men. Mm -hmm. But he says what women don't see is that at the opposite end of the spectrum, they don't even consider their garbage man. They don't even consider uh, all of these people who they do not work with. So they think, oh, men have power, but they're neglecting that they are looking at the top percentage of men who do in fact have power and ignoring the roofers, crab fishermen, frontline soldiers, all of these people who uh, very, feel very powerless in society. Mm. Um, and so his whole point is like, look, history has been rough to men and women in different ways, and we need to start to understand these different ways. So I, I, can, I can keep elaborating, but he does uh, exercises at his events where, for instance, all the men come on stage, he has them take off their shirts, and he has the women criticize and pick apart the way that they look, you know, just to, down to the nittiest gritty thing to give them an experience of what it is like just for a moment to, to feel the, the gaze of the world like mm -hmm. women often do. And then he takes women on stage and he ranks them in order of 
uh, highest earner to lowest earner. And then he takes like the bottom 60% and says, you are all losers. I want everyone to look at these people and let them know that they have failed in their duty as a woman. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> and like just to facilitate, oh God, like I'm keenly aware of the problems and the uh, pressures of my own life, but I'm utterly blind <laughs> to yeah. to what somebody else might feel. So it's, it's just very interesting so far. Well, you had mentioned something similar about how when you look at the past and you think about men, you get the sense that men had power in the past because the most powerful people were men. Mm-hmm. But that treating men as a monolith is a little bit strange because also every person brutally murdered on the front lines of battle was a man. And you were much more likely to survive to a certain age mm-hmm. and have children if you were a woman. Yeah. Like most men were just getting killed off before then, basically. Yes. So history... Just treating, any, I mean, this is like a common refrain we have on the podcast, treating anyone as a monolith based on gender, race, yeah. sexuality is a little bit silly and kind of falls apart because some men had power and mm-hmm. a lot of men did not. Yes, yes. And I think he, he says something like the core flaw of feminism is that assuming that because women felt powerless that men must have had power. Uh and again, you can understand it in the context of like, oh my gosh, all the presidents are men and the CEOs are men and the big movers and shakers. But it's, it's like you got to look at the guys who were building the skyscrapers 100, 100 well, stories yeah, in the air kind of, and like funny. laying down the railroad spikes. And I kind of feel like a lot of this is just a trick to make people not look at class, to not look at wealth. Because if you look through history, it's like, who are the most powerful people? Mm-hmm. Wealthy men. Who are the second most wealthy <laughs> power, or most powerful people? Second most powerful. Wealthy women married to wealthy men, Right they're going to have a better quality of life than the coal miners. Mm -hmm. So it just seems like anytime we're trying to divide ourselves, it often feels like that's the best way to divide ourselves. There's a couple of, I I agree that that I've heard it said that like feminism is just, we've talked about this, is just consumerism evolving, which is to say, you know what would be cool? If women needed to buy a bunch of stuff to go to work, including clothes, and had extra disposable money so that they could contribute to buying more stuff that they don't need in order to succeed in the rat race. So mm-hmm. it's just an evolution of consumerism. But it's also like there's there's a core flaw, which is that power and happiness is a zero-sum game. And it's not totally wrong. It's like, look, it is nicer to have people do things for you than to be the servant, obviously. Mm-hmm. But even even assuming that because the poor people are miserable that the rich people must have therefore been... Uh, I know this is this is controversial, better off meaningfully, and we've talked about this, we live in a world where rich people are literally committing suicide. <laughs> you know, we talked about Avicii, and uh, you can you can start naming your favorite celebrity that had everything and, and killed themselves. It is, uh, it's confused. And the second thing is, it's like, wow, it's so weird how easy it is to band into tribes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, all, then all the women come together, and all the men come together, and they all decide that they hate each other, and they air their grievances, and they feel camaraderie in in hating someone where it doesn't make sense it's almost ludicrous to view history and now that i've like i've viewed it this way as as primarily about conflict between men and women it's like you do realize that every human who ever was birthed came from the union of a man and a woman and that all of these societies where you could view it as as women being in an inferior role and in many ways they were controlled we're subjugating entire other tribes in far harsher ways, literally exterminating them when given the chance. So to say that it's primarily men versus women and not tribe versus tribe or nature versus people seems uh, myopic. Yeah, I agree. Um, but it's it's interesting. I'll get deeper into the book. 
we could talk about it as I go. Was there anything else? Yeah, he he often just talks about the opposite of what of all these terms that we have. So he says we talk about the glass ceiling, but we don't talk about the glass cellar, which is the bottom. You know, the, all these bottom jobs. We talk about the power that men have, but we don't talk about the genetic celebrity of women. Um, and yeah, and he does seem like someone who is just like. He just wants to see men staying at home and women playing in sports and women being presidents. And he's like... And women getting drafted. And women getting drafted. And uh, I think he would say that there are areas where it does not make sense. It's like, look, if you are doing the job of a firefighter and your job is to carry a unconscious person out of a building... I don't care if you're a man and a woman, but you need to be able to lift 180 pounds. But that's <laughs> yeah. still a gender neutral policy. Yes, but the outcome would skew. Well, I think, outcome, yeah. I think outcomes is the dumbest thing to look at. Well, he is concerned with outcomes. He's yeah. like, we don't have enough women playing sports. And he's like, I think that we could if they were encouraged. And, and, and that's what we've seen is that women's sports has grown tremendously since the 60s. Um, so, yeah, interesting stuff. Do you want to hop in with something? We got a lot of stuff. Sure. I mean, my, this is quick. Have you ever seen the movie Defiance? You mentioned it. World War II movie. <laughs> really good for gratitude, mm -hmm. I'd say. It's about this. So basically, it's World War II. It's the Holocaust. It's this Jewish family. I'll keep the spoilers light, but they come home. Their mom and dad have been murdered. So they have to run. Basically, what was happening is in Russia, as the German front was moving forward, cities went from being safe to unsafe. And when they became unsafe, Jews were immediately put in the ghetto, sent to concentration camps, or killed immediately. And so... They have to flee into this forest that they know well because they grew up in the area. And then slowly, I'll try not to ruin the movie because I really recommend everyone watch mm -hmm. it, but they amass more people and they end up inadvertently taking responsibility for this community of Jews living in the forest. And life is hard. I mean, <laughs> it's just a movie, but you really, it, it gives you the sense of like, yeah, they're, they're trying to survive in the forest in the winter in Russia, going days without eating, being hunted down. It, it is brutal. And you watch it and you immediately feel bad for anything you've complained about, about <laughs> your own life that you can remember. Yeah. And so it's a, it's a great movie. High score on Rotten Tomatoes, like well worth watching. Also, it gives some context for things like Trump is the next Hitler. It's <laughs> like, yeah, we really kind of are downplaying what Hitler did. And uh, at the same time, it's just made me very, very grateful. It's a good movie for making you feel very lucky that you're not a jew in world war ii in russia <laughs> yeah i a serious question do you think that the suffering that you have had in your life subjectively felt is less than yeah you do yeah, yeah i do i actually so i was th as i watched it i said that woman who said suffering is equal regardless of circumstance mm -hmm. i think if I could rephrase what she was saying. Well, I don't think she said suffering. Is it? She said, uh, you cannot compare suffering. And you cannot compare suffering. Yeah. Here's what I'd say. Maybe Avicii did suffer as much as a concentration camp person. Got it. Because his mental makeup was, he got dealt a bad brain hand. Mm -hmm. And so maybe that one rich person suffered. But if you took all the middle upper middle class people in America, mm -hmm. and then you took all the people in concentration camps... I think the amount of suffering felt day to day over the course of a year, it's way higher in the concentration camp. So actually, as I was watching this, I was like, I don't think I have suffered mentally anything near being three days without food mm -hmm. and then having to evacuate the home I just built in the woods and flee as gunshots come before me and then watch a kid 
die and then find out that my wife, who I'd sent to a, a safer city deeper into Russia, had also been conquered and my son was murdered and I wasn't even there to see it. It's like, no, in my entire life, I have not suffered anywhere near that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, that was actually my I actually reflected on that book and I said, maybe this is true in the by saying some people who you think have less lives suffer just as much as concentration camp victims. Mm-hmm. But on the whole, like on average, yeah. I don't think there was a single person in the concentration camp on the Jewish side, maybe on the soldier side there was, <laughs> but a, a single person suffering there who suffered less than I have in the last 12 months. Yeah. Well, a question about that, and I don't I don't know the answer. I wonder, because some of the things that you called, like there's deprivation, there's starvation, three days without food, there's pain, there's all of those things. And you also mentioned loss, loved mm-hmm. ones. So- what if we held the loss constant and said someone whose mother died when they were young mm-hmm. and then, you know, uh, I mean, we have a friend who, who lost a lot of close family members. Like, well, I'll say, so my life. grandpa, his son died mm-hmm. and it's, it's tragic, a lot of suffering and it fucks you up. And I think it would be what the woman, the author you're talking about, the Holocaust survivor was referencing in terms of you can suffer even if you're financial situation is good. Like he was having that suffering and I think probably suffered less than if he had had the same loss plus also had lost his wife, also hadn't eaten in three days, also had just fled his home and seen friends gunned down as they flee through the forest. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, he's suffering and you don't want to compare suffering, but I still don't think he suffered as much as some of the people, like maybe someone in the forest suffered less than him when he lost his son, but someone in the forest suffered worse would be my guess. So I'm not a Holocaust survivor. That woman is, I'm not trying to say she's wrong, but I think maybe there, the nuance is yes. People who look like they have it good can suffer as badly as people who look like they have it bad, but I'm watching this and I go, no one, so I mean, let's, no let's, one I know has, let's, has let's, had it this rough. Yeah, yeah. So let's take Holocaust aside and just say, um, pick a time in the last, you know, over a hundred years ago with, you know, five, with between 1400 and 1900 or whatever, or even between 900 and 1400 and just drop down and pick a random person. I, this is the question that I don't know the answer to is the average subjective experience of life, uh, reported would it be if you could have surveys? Would people report the same level of satisfaction, happiness, et cetera, a lower level or a higher level? And I honestly don't know. Now, certainly we in, can say- In 1400 versus today? Yeah, I don't know. And then some people go back and they say, let's go back 10,000 years ago, pre-agriculture, you're getting picked off by fucking, you know, savanna <laughs> predators, mm-hmm. but you also are- Well, you, you don't know any 20 hours of leisure a day. Yeah. yeah no, no, I think, so I think savanna leisure- might be happier yeah. than people today. Well, this is the question. As like technology has technology enabled us to survive longer. But I think being a Uyghur are, in China yeah. is worse than being someone in America. Mm-hmm. Like I do I do think circumstance dictates subjective suffering experience. and subjective experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's well, so that is my experience of it, obviously to a degree. It's like, look, there are things that I <laughs> Oh, but what I'm saying is I think that woman would agree. Yeah. I, this added nuance. I think there's nuance to what she's saying. And I think she would agree. Mm -hmm. And she'd say, if you feel like on the whole, you've suffered less than a Uyghur, you probably have. And even when you were sad about a breakup or something, you were not as sad as someone who's like, that's, I don't think that's what she was saying in hindsight. I think what she was saying is 
for the suicidal, their, their suffering isn't to be scoffed at. And it's silly to look at their circumstances and say, well, why would that person commit suicide? Because they're rich. Mm-hmm. But I, don't, I, it's, I struggle to imagine anyone who would say suffering is agnostic to circumstance. Um, well, you could imagine Buddhists who, who might, who might, uh, argue that and say it. They well, might, they could say suffering could be agnostic to circumstance, yeah, yeah. but they would also say life is suffering. And so I think your subjective suffering is impacted by your circumstances. Yeah, anyway, I'm, I'm confused. <laughs> uh, you had mentioned, I didn't watch it. I don't know if you wanted to talk about this, the, the Marvel good guys not being held accountable. Oh, well this was, it's not the good guys necessarily not being held accountable. It's interesting. So I watched one. So, so, so let's pause. Let's pause. Uh, you gave spoilers for Defiance, whatever. <laughs> Nobody cares. <laughs> Nobody's going to watch it. Yeah. This is uh, Falcon Winter Soldier. No, this is what I'm going to say. So, well, first of all, everyone should, I strongly recommend watching Defiance. Yeah. But so yeah, we're about to give spoilers for WandaVision and for Falcon and the Winter Soldier. But the thing I find interesting about those shows is how they, who they try to paint the good guy as. And we talked about it a little bit, but it's whoever the camera follows and also what the music does while you're watching them because in this new captain america and the winter soldier they're trying at at least for now i hope he has a redemption arc but they're trying to paint the new captain america as a bad guy and the scene they used to do it is he is trying to stop super soldier terrorists so these are captain america level strong people who have tied up people to rob a building and then when they easily could have escaped burned the building down and lit, killed everyone there, burned them alive. And the logic that they use is this is the only language the strong hear or whatever. It's so it's such a weak thing, but they try to make you sympathetic to this group. So he goes in to try to stop them. Their plan is to kill him. They don't know he's a super soldier. Spoilers, he got some serum. But their plan is to nine on one, nine super soldiers against two civil, two normal people, murder them both. They do kill his friend, but not him. He catches one of the people and he murders the terrorist. And that's the scene you're supposed to see him as a bad guy because he does it with the shield. And he does it by lifting the shield up and then killing the guy. And then there's blood on Captain America's shield. And Captain America would never do this. And the music that's playing is angry. And I'm watching it going, how could you possibly think this guy's the bad guy? He got chosen because he's a decorated Marine. <laughs> he served in the Middle East for years and won medals. Do we think he's never killed someone before? Do we think this was his first time killing someone who's bad and the well, scene well, well we can we can put bad in quotes and yes they did bad you know the, the, an enemy at this point sure he and the guy they try to make it even worse because the guy's sitting on the ground begging for his life saying i wasn't the one that pulled the trigger i wasn't the one that pulled yeah, yeah. the trigger don't do we not think that happens all the time on both sides every time someone gets captured and then killed afterwards that they don't beg for their life at some yeah. point so i'm watching this i'm going this is just a marine doing marine things this is just a marine killing a terrorist who tried to murder him and then begged for his life once he lost the fight. Yeah. Well, we also you. I haven't seen that at all. I've after WandaVision, I was disappointed. And I well, yeah. No. Winter and then Soldier. this is the second thing <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna point out is Captain America. I'm pretty sure has killed people. He just kills them off screen without blood. Yes. So I re, I, I recalled the first scene in in it's the it's awesome because his first Captain America for me was disappointing. And then Winter Soldier comes and they're like, no, Cap is cool. And he he lands on this boat and he front kicks a guy so hard. That I, I ha- I'd have to watch the scene back. Maybe we can find it. 
Front kicks him so hard that he slams into the side of this uh, metal pole metal pole from probably 20 feet away and then maybe even goes off the edge. So he's got a broken spine and maybe drowns if he goes off the edge. No, he goes he, off the he, edge. He, he does. does. Yeah. <laughs> he's paralyzed, drowning to death. He's just realized he can't use his legs and is now drowning it's to like, death. It's like, did that guy pull the trigger? I mean, Cap just destroys people. He also he's, has a gun in the first movie. Yeah. So I know you don't see what he's shooting at, but you see him shooting at enemies. Yes. If, does he just have terrible aim? No, and, hit and, one? and the few times where they show you, it's like a guy in a robot suit. It's like they dehumanize them all. And then they just take, please, please. Like, that's the first time that's an enemy didn't want to die or had a, a confused reason for doing what they did. I also think Cap has probably thrown people off of roofs. At one point, he crashes battleships that all have humans on them, I believe. So any human <laughs> that's on that battleship is going to die. He's just killed hundreds of people, but never with with bad person music never playing with and never blood with and blood music, yeah. yeah and it's it's uh i've felt disappointed in the way that disney has handled good and evil which is like of course they are but then i'm thinking back to wandavision where wanda the plot spoilers takes over an entire town in her grief of her loss of vision and tortures them for we don't know how long it's at least days if not weeks at one point one of these mind-controlled people is freed and they beg yeah, please please get me out of here please i mean and, one know, of them literally says if you're not going to free me kill me kill me this is worse than death yes this is she worse does than this death. to a thousand people including children yes you know and she's understandably sad <laughs> and and grieving <laughs> and does this and is warned about it and realizes what she's doing and doesn't come and then finally at the end of it, in the final episode, lets these people go. And the message to her from the uh, supporting characters, they'll never know what you did for them, which is to say you kidnapped and tortured them and eventually let them go. Like imagine if that was the way that we treated kidnap and torturers. It's like, look, you have 30 days to release the victim, in which case you're a good person. Yeah. <laughs> it's ludicrous. It's insane. And instead of taking it the interesting route of like, Wanda's bad. Like, like, yes, Wanda had not or bad. gray. Gray. She had horrible things happen to her. Has way too much power. Couldn't handle it and hurt a lot of people. No, <laughs> you know, like they'll never know. And what now she'll did. just go on to be a protagonist in the next movie. Or like, you know, they'll just switch it up. But it's the same sort of uh, you. It's just disappointing. And and I it what it says. Unfortunately, I think about the audience is like you don't have moral principles. You don't. What you have are uh, completely manipulatable emotions, and all I need to do is play the right music, and I can tell you who is good and who is bad. And that is a damning uh, assessment yeah, if, <laughs> of if mainstream most people, audience. If most people think Wanda is still the good guy, and... That's what Disney thinks of its audience, regardless. Sure. Disney thinks its audience will buy that. Yes. Which is to say, I mean, it's it's an, an interesting way to view commercials and media is like, this is what the writer thinks about you. You know, they're writing this for you. Yeah, they this think, is what they, they think, think you'll, you'll buy. For, they think you'll forgive torturing thousands of people for days on end, as long as we play the right music and follow them around with the camera. Yeah, if, if and they think that you'll damn a marine for killing one person <laughs> if there's blood on if there's show. blood and we play the right music and we give you any information about the reasons of the terrorist doing it and i think well, you the mentioned that the terrorist weird. was also made a woman to make her more sympathetic yeah in the comics the, the leader of the terrorist organization is a man and they switch mm -hmm. her to a woman in the show i think mm -hmm. in an effort to try to make her more sympathetic yeah but the other thing is if you have this empathy i would recognize that all the real world terrorists also have what they think are good reasons. Yeah, yeah. So 
that's the weird thing is to root for this woman think that this is a this is a bad captain america because he murdered someone while the old captain america <laughs> definitely murdered people while this person was a marine commended for murdering people and while in the real world you damn terrorists whose reasons are i think probably tied with this tv group all of that is happening in the same brain and that's what i find interesting mm-hmm. someone doesn't like the real world terrorists likes the tv terrorists, likes old cap doesn't like this new cap well even within this you're saying like these there's this loaded word of terrorists i don't want to harp on it too much but it it has it's it's judge jury and executioner right off the bat you know what i mean like oh once, i'm using it in the literal is, sense this group is trying to create they're trying to accomplish something by creating fear mm-hmm. that's why they burned 14 people alive sure but uh if that's how we use the word terrorist and we used it evenly uh the president of the United States, every, anytime the president says there will be a sanction, that's terrorism. He makes you, you know what I mean? Like if that's how we want to use the word terrorist and we want to evenly apply it, we just populated the world with a lot of terrorists. Sure. And if, and if the way that you deal with terrorists is you don't negotiate and you do all this, it's like, okay, well now we don't negotiate with the president of the United States well, based I mean, on your often, own principle often reflected I think back upon you. Terrorist versus freedom fighter revolutionary versus dissident it just depends where you're standing the idea that using fear as a way of control as a unique means of warfare is also goofy and it, it's in it's it also contains within it. it's like no the way you're supposed to fight is with your tanks oh you don't have any tanks you know what i mean like you're supposed to use drones in order to fight it's it's, it's classic uh the british when when there was the american revolution which again we call it the American Revolution. I've heard that some have called it the War of American Aggression across the pond. Uh, the way that they talked about the guerrilla fighters was with disdain because they wouldn't stand in a line. Yeah, of course, we have more soldiers than you, so the most fair thing to do is just stand, stand in a line, line and, and shoot, shoot each, other. each other. Well, we have less soldiers than you, so the most fair thing to do so is to kill in you the woods, woods. And shoot and shoot your officers. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, that's not right. And again, so it's just, uh, yeah, just a lot of people in cl- conflict and... Some of the conflict is over the assertion of who is good and who is evil. And much of that is done with principles that do not hold up if they were universalized. Yeah, that's the thing. When I was watching it, I was just annoyed with the fact that through music, they were trying to make me think this person was a bad person for murdering one person that had just tried to kill him. It's like, well, wait. But then I should have thought he was a bad person for being a Marine. And I should have thought Captain America was a bad person. Mm -hmm. And this just doesn't hold up. And so that that's where I thought it was something interesting and also very inconsistent. Sure. Moving along. Sure. I had a dream. <laughs> all right, Martin Luther King. This was I had a full podcast in our dream. There were some interesting topics. I couldn't write them all down afterwards. And and they, I'm sure you know how you have a dream and you think you have brilliant ideas. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is so dumb. This one is, I think, accurate. <laughs> Talk in the mic. This it's close to accurate. So. For whatever reason, I was thinking about war and why we don't have interstate war, right? Like why Pennsylvania doesn't go to war with New Jersey. And I think there was probably a time in American history where that was not a given. It wasn't, you know. Definitely. And the short, the reason, as far as I can tell, is that we, we had enough cultural in common that we felt comfortable enough to give a larger organization a standing army. Mm-hmm. that was more powerful than ours. And so if you look at the way that peace is often achieved, whether it's within a, a community who gives this to the police, it's like who has a monopoly on the use of legitimate force? Mm-hmm. And not and not just legitimate force, like who has all the guns? <laughs> you know, who, who can control this? Um, so if you look at the world, and I know that this is like the globalists and the big world powers, but eventually I imagine that might be 500 years down the line, if we get to an area where 
economics tie us tightly enough that cultural differences don't matter as much, and we create a UN with a standing army that is far more powerful than any particular nation's standing army, you will end wars as effectively as as effectively as federal governments can end state wars. Yeah. Um, and obviously that's not something you want to rush towards because we're seeing even in America right now, it's like, oh shit, states are different and we've got different things. So it's like, when when can we reasonably uh, kick power up a level? But uh, yeah, it was just like, this is how you end war is you get to a point culturally where you feel comfortable enough just going, you we are going to each give up our guns. We're going to give them to somebody yeah. else. No, there's that 50 states. Answerable to both of us. Any one state tries to fight another state, the other 49 states yeah, yeah. will send their soldiers and you'll get smashed. But it's not even the 49 states. It's that this federal entity has an army that is not like if you're if I go to war and I'm from Pennsylvania, it's not like the Pennsylvania militia can call me back at that. It's I'm I am a soldier of the U.S. Sure. federal government at that point. So anyway, I know that Do that's, people not like globalism because I feel like that's where we're going. And I also feel like it has pretty obvious upsides. What's the what's the people don't like about I think globalism? moving so the that your local needs will be superseded by a group of elites telling you what is best for you is I think the problem. And also it's like, look, if you went back to um, 500 and we're like, we're going to make nation states now, you know, 580, it's like, this is not going to work. <laughs> you know, you need, you need uh, economic advancements, technological advancements, cultural advancements. But what's interesting is like, we started this federal democracy without electronics like benjamin franklin was flying the kite like oh electricity is enlightening that's how far back that was yeah, we're writing letters it's wild and it's like man there's there's a uh, huge democratic advancements that could be made with can i vote on my phone please do i you know what i mean like when when is this going to happen and obviously there's all these problems of who tracks the phone data and all these things need to be sorted out and are serious questions but it seems inevitable to me that if we do not kill ourselves that we will continue to congeal and some people say no we're eventually going to fragment into tribes but it seems it seems that technology allows larger groups of people to band together under common interests yeah. as does increasing economic ties i agree and yeah and then in 500 years there might be this one world army that goes in and you know it and 500 years if i got to bet i'd bet it would <laughs> If yeah. I could put a thousand dollars down on an even odds bet, <laughs> five hundred years wouldn't be worth any money. No, I know, but I'm thinking years. if someone could just come back there and say, "Yeah, you're right or you're wrong," yeah. some genie situation. Yeah, I definitely bet we have one one world kind of United States of the world. Yeah. Situation. And then you know what we'll have is all those people on Mars will have their own, and we will be different enough from those people on Mars that there will be two large superpowers, yeah. and then there will be a couple other colonies on different moons and shit, and we'll just like Russia and the United States, we'll start being like, this is ours, and this is ours, and we could just repeat the cycle over and over again. But uh, it seems that that's what the cycle does. It starts in tribes, and it moves to larger communities, then sure. it moves to states, and and then you know continents and all that kind of stuff. But to be fair for those of you listening. It does look, if you look very closely at our time, like the United States is having trouble with its federalness. Uh, England just left the EU. Like some of these larger things are breaking down. And even though they might move backwards in the short term, I do think 500 years. Yeah, progress often looks like a jagged, jagged line going yeah. upwards, if that makes sense. Things mm -hmm. take step backwards. But mm -hmm. I think you will continue to progress forwards to more unity while taking steps back such that 2030 might be less united than 2010. Yeah. But still, the long-term trend, I think, will be towards unity. Yep. Yep. Do you want to do one? Well, yeah. Do you want to talk about uh, Karen Nazario, the guy that was pepper sprayed in his car? 
I don't know anything. Okay. Well, so this was just a lawyer friend contacted me to, to kind of weigh in on this because he knows we have a podcast, so we don't have to talk about it much. I did watch the video. It looks like the cops are way out of line. Uh, it's wild. Uh, stepping back from the actual case because you know details are being argued in court, uh, there were two things my lawyer friend brought up that we've talked about a little bit, but the idea that we don't have national body cam policies and we don't have huge penalties for lying in police reports is very interesting because he's a lawyer. He's a criminal defense lawyer. And he says it's, you almost expect the police report to contain fabrications. Yeah. Not, and you can imagine a system where you think the police report is 100% accurate because there's a massive penalty for lying in a police report. I'm sure there's an argument as to why, like people misremember things when they're in high stress situations and you don't want to imprison police if they're trying their best. But I don't, I don't, we don't even need to belabor it. I just thought it was interesting. He's in the criminal defense system and basically said he, he finds it really hard to understand why there's such leniency for lying in police reports and having body cam malfunctions. Yeah. I, I know nothing about it, but it seems, seems to me that if there is a system with, uh, uneven risk on either sides where one party is given the weapon leniency if uh, they lie you know it's like that that's that is a system ripe for corruption so I, I don't know anything about this the body cam stuff we've talked about seems very obvious um penalties for lying i mean this is the same issue that you get with uh with anything is look if we can't prove that you lied and it's unclear you walk okay but if like we can demonstrate we can prove fraud or anything if, uh, that obviously should be wrong now i don't know if that's already on the books, it might be. That's the thing. I don't know. He's saying that it's not. I don't know. It, it's, it, it may or may not be. But what I, what I do take is like, man, off this focus again on police. You know, here, like, here we go. And why police? Is this how most Americans die? Not even fucking close. Is this how most Americans are maimed? Not even fucking close. Like, why do we keep hearing about this? And my answer is the news does not give two dams about saving lives or the, the welfare of people. It doesn't care. If it did, what you would do is start blindly from, okay, what is harming the most people? And if you want to narrow it, what is harming the most Americans? Mm-hmm. You would start at the top of the list and you'd be like, holy crap, it's refined sugar all the way down. It's, it's heart attacks and diabetes and this, and we'd be all over it and we could save millions of lives. Yeah. Well, that's the COVID, action. That's the COVID point that's interesting is we have a COVID death counter that runs on all the news stations. I see this in the gym. It's the only reason yeah. I see it. It's just constantly updating you on how many people have died from COVID, but- it would be really useful to have maybe a top five thing. So the timer for COVID can stay, but you just see it above or below other things so that you have context for how many people are also dying from the number one cause of death, which is not COVID. And then you see COVID and then you'd see what's closely behind it. But they're just not, that's not the goal of the news. The goal of the news is not to inform people or to improve the lives of American. No, no. I mean, citizens. can you imagine if there were if there were I mean, individual cases of people with diabetes and heart attacks and the amount of food that they ate at McDonald's and how McDonald's served them four burgers in one day and then they had a heart attack. Like this stuff happens, you know, in the same but no one in media is interested in picking it up. And I actually think that this is a side where the supply will meet the demand because the the um what is it? Asymmetry is on the side of like we have dumb reptile brains that like see images and think they are representative and the news has the selection our bodies come in different shapes and sizes so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too 
That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply of everything that has occurred. And if they want to put diabetes and people dying and all this kind of stuff, that's what will happen. Uh, and that's what people will panic and, and care about. Now, there, of course, is a relation where sometimes people get bored of stuff, but like uh, I, people would be bored of this if, if, the news, if the news were simply searching for ratings and was just perfectly optimizing for ratings. I think they could find other ways to do it. There's other things to be outraged. Actually, I take that back because... This has an, an individual agent that can be held responsible. It's a horrifying scene. That might, that might hit really well on what makes people react. But in any event, uh, the fact that we're talking about police constantly and, and, le- and talking about you know, how many people are harmed in a year by police without relating that to other causes of harm that can be mitigated is, to me, very strong evidence that this is not a good faith mm-hmm. actor and this is not how... We should be even starting the conversation. Now, as it gets to police and we get there, I'm probably in favor of all, of all the things you said. Like, let's do body cam footage. Let's let's sue the crap out of the precinct if anybody whose body footage turns off. You know, let's have uh, all of these additional rules. Yes, but I don't know. It, it seems like we're missing the things that, that are killing and hurting the most people in order to to remain focused on this, this pet problem. You know? Well, it's also for some of the leading causes of death in the U.S., like heart disease and cancer, you also run into the fact that there's a push against identifying the problem. So people are saying that obese is a slur. Not and people. Twitch is now, like, not allowing you to say well, That's the thing. That's a, that's a platform. Insane, that's a platform. Man. No, and you it's can saying, say obese, but you can't, like, in the chat, you're not allowed to say it. It's, it I don't know what the, the rule is, but it was just one guy discovered that he couldn't enter it into the chat in terms of, voting and now that was the story so i I have to confirm okay what i'm saying is you're laughing because obese is right now being considered a slur and people are putting pushing back and saying you can't make obese a slur it's a technical term it's a medical term well we have an r word that i won't say because i don't want to get canceled for people with a certain level iq it is also a technical term Yeah, yeah and you can't say it and so mm-hmm. the number one causes of death in America are actually obesity or sorry, uh, heart disease and cancer and things of that nature. 
but I wonder if part of the reason that that will I never get you, talked well, about fair, is I th- because... I think you're allowed to say the R word if you mean it technically. If you're like, hey, this is my brother. He's, he's His IQ is 65. He is... I think, I think you're okay. Okay. I'm just telling you that there have already been technical medical terms <laughs> out, uh, yeah. out, taken out of the, con- the context of conversation. And there's a push at least to make it so that you can't fat shame people, so that you can't talk about weight, so that you can't talk about obesity. How are you going to talk about, if you're a news station, how are you going to talk about the fact that the leading cause of death is weight if you're not allowed to mention weight? Well, no, I think, I think you're oversimplifying it. What, what, People, the reason that Twitch did it, which I disagree with, is not because people were having scholarly conversations about BMI. It's because they were being purposefully mean to fat people, which I guess we can call them fat, but not, they, they were using that as a mean term. Sure. Uh, and the reason that the R word is now a bad word is not because people were describing their loved ones who have low IQs. It's because <laughs> they were using it to take people that we're not we're not technically medically within that category and to put sure. them down. What I'm saying is that you're talking about the news <clears throat> sen- spending more time covering heart disease and cancer and things of that nature since that's what kills most Americans. What I'm telling you is there is a movement in America not to that it's not a bad thing to be 300 pounds, 400 pounds. Is yeah, I wonder. I wonder how significant that movement is. I I've heard it and seen it and it was on the Cosmo magazine. It trans was people the- make up 0.6% of the population sure, sure. and the movement for trans rights is really large. I what I'm saying is we're at the first domino yeah. of 300 pound and 400 pound people saying you can't tell me this is unhealthy. It's shame it's shaming me. It's slurring me to tell me this is unhealthy that you can't tell me Maybe that this is the right. wrong way to live. You might be right. I see more of that than I do of people saying that the number one problem in America is people having excessive amounts of fat to the point that it strains their body and kills them. Yeah. Which is not at all in the mainstream media. It's not at all in the magazine. Like no one's talking about that. Mm-hmm. So in terms of the two sides fighting, it feels like in the media, there's much more push to not fat shame, not bring up the word obesity, not make people feel bad than there is to save lives by yeah, yeah, yeah. harping on nutrition and diet and exercise sure. and all that stuff. Sure. Uh, that, that so I don't think we'll ever, I don't think we'll ever case. see the news talk about heart disease the way that they talk about coronavirus. Or, yeah, or to take individual cases of egregious examples of um, companies enabling that sort of, like, why don't we just go or to, to have TLC? a death counter. Like, like, isn't there a TV show, like, My Thousand Pound Life? Like, why don't, mm-hmm. why aren't we going to TLC and, and, in the same way, like, is this not is this not worse than pepper spray? Like, like making a, a spectacle of this really really dangerous health situation. Uh, I don't know which way. It's like it's it seems to be pretty awful. Uh, and but yeah, that's that's totally fine. And to be clear, I'm not saying that cops should pepper spray people that don't deserve it. That is that is a no no. Don't do that. Yeah, I'm just saying. I don't think you'll. I don't think we'll see the news cover. The, the number one cause of death in America, the way that they cover COVID or mm-hmm. police murders or anything of that nature. Yeah, I, think, I think it will just never be the focus of the media. Yes, yes. It's, uh, it seems to be a power game. Um, I think that's all that I had. Do you have anything else? I'm Googling now the number one cause of death in America, but... I looked at the top 10. There, it, I think it's heart disease.
I don't know. I was looking up annual deaths the other day. In there, the gym, there, if you look at them and you go, which of these are strongly related to diet and exercise? It's like down the list. And then it's, it's, you, you could save a lot of lives <laughs> by, by having a, a government public focus on diet and exercise and what's unhealthy. And like, in, we've, we've mentioned this, but I remember growing up and like fat was the thing to be avoided because unfortunately when fat, eating, f- eating, fat. eating fat, eating fat is associated. It's got the same word as the fat that's on your body. That, that is uh, maybe d- makes people not like you as much because you're not attractive or it is just not what you want. But what was never really explained was like, this isn't, you don't like eat this well, there's, and it goes to your yeah, body. Yeah, there's healthy it's, fats yeah. that you can eat that are good for you. And then there's also sugar, sugar, which and, is bad and for you. Bread. And it's not necessarily also just, just to be clear you. though, people are going to, people will disagree that sugar causes cancer. Sure. Or causes well, it heart might not disease. even and it might not even be the cane sugar that is the problem. It might be the high fructose corn syrup and the, the sucrose. Diet, and the, the diet causes cancer. People might push back on. That's what I'm saying. Uh, who? I'd be surprised to hear that. That seems like people a in the fr- comments might even sure maybe that that seems to me to be a fringe. I agree, but I again, all I have only read blue zones and anti-cancer. So no, my my perspective is that diet has an impact on heart disease and cancer. But I'm just saying, I don't even think that that's something you get to say <laughs> and not get disagreed, disagreed with. Sure. Anyways. I had one more thing. Ben Askren is incredibly likable. He's fighting Jake Paul this Saturday. So he's been doing a bunch of interviews. Have you seen him? No. That guy is... It's funny because I didn't like him at all with the run-up to the Jorge fight. He is so centered. It is unbelievable. So he goes on the Logan Paul podcast, which I thought was very smart of Logan because obviously it's getting five times more views than his other podcasts. And he goes on there and the Paul, you know, Logan Paul and Mike and George, they're on Jake's side. They want Ben to lose and they make that very clear and they're trying to get a rise out of him. And they talk to him about what do you, you know, do your kids, did you, did you have to apologize to them for being such a loser when you lost the Jorge fight? Do your kids, when you're at wrestling camp, tease you for getting knocked out? They're just trying to get under his skin. When you, when I watch you box, I'm going to be honest, you look slow it looks sad and he's just yeah my kid what well, yes yeah, so they do make fun of me for that knockout they're 12 years old they're complete assholes that's exactly what happens oh my own kids no they don't care i don't think my kids even know i'm a cage fighter yet mm-hmm. oh i look slow i looked slow when i was wrestling i was an olympic wrestler but i was super slow mm-hmm. and then even when he's bragging about like logan saying how there's levels to this game of wrestling and how he was a really good wrestler but then this one guy beat him and he realized how good that guy was and he's like were you on that guy's level and he's like that guy didn't even win states. I was an Olympic wrestler. That guy couldn't, I would do to that guy what you did, what he did to you. But like with no ego in it. It's just incredible. I watched the whole thing and I don't think I've ever watched a full podcast before, but he he is so un, you cannot knock him off of who he is because he's just accepted his losses and doesn't fight you on them and doesn't deny it. Yeah. And it was really interesting to watch. It's like, oh, this is, this is what, being really confident looks like it's not thinking you're the best at everything mm-hmm. it's going oh i'm all i'm 100 slow twitch i was the slowest guy on the wrestling team mm-hmm. just saying it just stating it without fighting back at yeah. all when they try to pick on your negatives and he does they're not insecurities like his weaknesses aren't insecurities because mm-hmm. he doesn't try to fight you on them he just accepts that they're truth yeah so it was really interesting to watch yeah he answers which is which is a technique and it's not a foolproof every time it's not you can do it all the time so i don't want you to think that but uh taking a pointed like question that is meant insultingly, like do your kids make fun of you and answering it literally mm-hmm. and like just refusing to buy into the frame that I'm supposed to be upset by, by this question. And instead is 
it's demoralizing for and then Logan isn't he's just I'm sure no, they said teasing so him. He's no, just no. <laughs> dude it was amazing the guys trying to tease him go you're you're it's so I'm trying so hard to not like you yeah and now I'm I don't even know if I want Jake to win because I like <laughs> you so much like I'm trying to get under your skin and you aren't I don't want to be mean to you anymore because of the way you're responding they literally say these things to yeah, him yeah. throughout the course of the podcast he goes I don't even want to fuck with you anymore this is like you're just handling this so well that I want to be nice to you you know what's interesting is that like if you if you are bullying and logan is teasing him i don't think he like he's he's entertaining for the purposes of a podcast but if someone is bullying you they need they need fire like something needs to continue to mm -hmm. make them do it and so what it can be weakness can fuel bullies uh pushback and rage when they know they can overwhelm you can but that like the unflappable literal response is just like uh, how, how long can your fire burn? Cause I'm not feeding it. <laughs> I'm not giving it what no. it needs to continue. I just did this Jonah Hill video on how to stand up for yourself. And so I was researching bully, how to stand up to bullies. And I ended up going a different direction. Cause I went with how to, how to deal with your friends. But there's this guy who knows how credible he is, but he tours schools giving anti-bullying speeches. And it's the exact technique he gives. He has, he has people come up and try to bully him. Yeah. And the first time he does it, he fights back and it's very easy to keep bullying. Yeah, yeah. They do not stumble. Yeah. And the second time, he doesn't fight back. He kind of acknowledges what they said. He acknowledges his weaknesses. And these high school kids who were just having it, they had infinite ammo to keep teasing him, run out of things to say. And they yeah, start yeah, to yeah. stutter and they're holding the microphone and they go, well, thank, uh, thanks. And they just stare at him. He goes, okay, cool. So that's the end of the exercise. I win. Yeah, yeah. And they, the kid knew that their job was to keep making fun of him, yeah, but they yeah, just yeah. don't have the fuel added. So I don't know. Horrible bullying. Maybe it's not the answer. I don't even pretend to know what to do when you're getting the shit kicked out of you in school every day but this is just interesting from a conversational perspective i think most people they get teased by their friends or acquaintances in their friend group and ben Askren just does i mean he literally takes a room of people who are trying to in a friendly way bully him and makes them all really like him and they it's amazing that they just speak out loud they just say i have no desire to keep trying to be mean to you you have completely ruined this game for me yeah. So it was, it was very interesting to watch. I would do a breakdown on it, but well, it's the a frame thing. Saturday. It's a frame thing. Uh, like what they're saying is we're in a fight and I just sucker punched you. That's the frame. Like I just got first swing and he comes back with, we're not even fighting. Yeah. And it's just like, whoa, that's demoralizing. Well, like, we're not fighting like, and your sucker punch. Didn't I didn't even me. feel it. Didn't even hurt so me. So we're not, one, we're not fighting. I'm not yeah. punching you back. But two, <laughs> that meant nothing to me. Yeah, that yeah. swing you just took. It was a gentle breeze on my face. Yeah, so it's not just, it doesn't just stop him. Like it, it does establish a bit of a pecking order, which is just mm -hmm. like, you can't hurt me. Yeah. Uh, and all the comments are talking yeah. about how, the, oh, I love Ben Askren now. And yeah. he comes off so humble. This He's, is he what, came off what's funny. This is what real confidence in his, looks in his, like. In his previous fights. And obviously he knew that he was playing heel and he was coming over for Bellator, but he was so I, I saw him talk about that too. It's actually pretty fa fascinating how that knee shaped his whole career. He had just beaten Robbie Lawler, and if he had if he had beaten Jorge Masvidal, he would have gotten a shot at the title. He barely beat Robbie Lawler. Robbie it, didn't, it doesn't matter, though. That's the thing. If he, if he beat... So he beats Robbie Lawler, barely beats him, almost loses, but that's a top X guy at the time. Jorge Masvidal is a top X guy at the time, and then I think Jorge Masvidal got a title fight shortly thereafter. Sure. We, don't, we don't need to talk. I mean, every fucking podcast talks about MMA. <laughs> we don't. Oh, no, I'm just saying it's interesting to talk. He's gone. Ben Askren is completely retired because yeah. of that one. And I, I mean, he didn't get mauled. He no. took one. I mean, I don't say lucky. He took one shot, one bad shot. Yeah. And it ended his whole career. 
Uh, well, he seemed outclassed in, in the UFC. He seemed like he shouldn't be there, and I think he would have gotten mauled at the top of it. He could, I mean... Well, Dana does not like him. Immediately after Jorge, he put him against Damian Maya, the yeah. best grappler in yeah, the UFC. Yeah. Just beat him up. Well, it's, it's okay. You're such a good... This is your thing. You grapple, right? Not really. Like, Well, but that what I'm saying is... There, you could easily have fed him the right strikers to to have gotten him all the way if to a belt. If it were Conor McGregor, Dana could have done a nicer. He could have, he could have paired him against people that. that no, he wasn't better. Habib. He wasn't yeah. Habib Nurmagomedov. But it's just fascinating to me. I said, "Oh, you didn't get." Because when I think of him, I think of a washed-up fighter that got stomped a bunch and then left. Because oh, that's not actually what happened. You took a bad knee and didn't even fight the guy, and then you lost to Damian Maya, who's literally considered the best MMA grappler of all time potentially, and then you retired. Damian Maya's gotten beat by a lot of people. By a lot of people. And he's old. Strikers. He's old, too. He's, I mean, Ben Askren can't hang in the UFC. That's the truth. He's just not good enough. He could have gotten a title, I think. He might have lucked into a title shot he, if he, he beat up. He could have Eddie Alvarez. Did. He could have sure. held the belt. Yeah, yeah that's For sure. Yeah, and then Eddie is now in Bellator, right? I don't know. Um. Anyways, what else? Do we have questions? Yep. So, yeah, if you want to know how to be incredibly likable, come off as extremely confident, and potentially deal with teasing, watch Ben Askren on the Logan Paul podcast. Mm-hmm. All right, first one is, I'm a fairly attractive guy, quite flirty, and extremely oblivious to when women are interested. I recently read Models and How to Tell if They Are Interested, or and the How to Tell if They Are Interested section was an eye-opener. <laughs> now, this hasn't been a problem in my dating life. However, this is very problematic with friendships. I meet many fantastic women I'm not interested in that I want to be friends with, and after a while, they'll get cold and distant. Looking back, they had many signs of interest and backed off when they started dating someone else. Notably, I haven't had the same issue with gay men. How can you flirt with the world while still keeping things platonic? Um, so, I think it's to, one of the things you can do is uh, you can friend zone them, which is to like talk about friends of yours that they might like to go on a date with, which is like one very concrete way. Like, oh my gosh, you should meet my whatever friend. You, might, you guys might get along. Um, you can talk about dates that you are going on that you are excited about like this is you you treat them explicitly like a friend because what happens in the opening stages of flirting is there's less like am i interested in you are we like i'm available and so you just like i am not available and like i have someone else for you that that type of stuff tends to uh allow you to be playful and flirty and still be friends yeah, I agree. Just friends with them. I mean, <laughs> I really should just find a video from someone who talks about it. Could be a man or a woman. How to friend zone someone? And then just, <laughs> Do people make videos on how to friend zone people? Probably. How to maintain friends? I think so. Um, and I think it's it's kind of. I'll just give you a couple other things. Do the like when you're inviting them out, invite them out in groups. Like do the opposite of date stuff. Like if you're going to go out to get drinks one on one with a date, invite them out with a group of people to go bowling that are of, of mixed, you know, guys and girls. Um, yeah, and just just treat them, I mean, really just treat them like a friend of the same gender, which is to say, mm-hmm. I get that you're flirting with the world. I, You can flirt with the world in a platonic way with men as well. But when you touch them, just touch them like they're a male friend. Don't yeah. have a lingering touch. Don't make sexual jokes. If you're going to compliment them, compliment them in the way that you would a guy. Like I have guy friends who I will say they look handsome. So if you see them and you're telling them they look beautiful, just use the same tone that you would for a guy friend and really if you if you do that i think you'll be fine i would i think flirting with the world is actually a different type of flirting than flirting with someone you're attracted yeah, to. yeah it's flirting similar, with someone you're attracted to you are adding tension sexual tension 
just don't do that when you're flirting with a female friend. In the same way that I don't think you do that with your male friends would be my guess. Flirting with the world is uh, a synonym would be be playful and non-literal. Making jokes, touching, smiling. And flirting with someone that you're interested in has what Ben described as this element of like lingering eye contact, tension, um, heart racing-ness that is just not at all necessary to be playful with someone. So, yeah. Next is... I've recently gotten a new girlfriend and we've been dating for three months and in that time I've gotten to know her a lot closer recently. She has opened up about some trauma, um, specifically her mom passing away last year, uh, her injury which might make her drop out of D1 college sports and is still dealing with being raped a couple years ago. I have slowly come to realize that I'm not really looking for a relationship at this time in my life and I want to be focused on developing my career. I'm 22, but still have one more year of college, and also that's not really related to her situation. Um, She really doesn't have anyone else in her life that is a strong emotional support right now, since her only real friend is going through a lot right now as well. I was wondering how you would deal with this situation and what your ideas are about the situation, and if you want more info, I'd be happy to provide it. How long have they been dating? I forget. Three Three months. months. Three months. Um, So I'll start at the end. You, yeah, you don't want to stay in relationships out of guilt is, is a big one. You are not doing them a favor, certainly not long-term, because you are eventually going to either resent them or just get out after they become more attached to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, go ahead. But this person also didn't say they want to end the relationship necessarily. They, they just said they don't want a serious relationship. So my first question would be, what do you want? Yeah, yeah. Are you looking for casual dating? Are you looking to be friends? Have you decided you don't like this person and you want them out of your life? Like how you behave is going to be completely different based on what outcome you're looking for. So a good question to ask yourself is assuming that this person would be really happy with any sort of outcome, any, what is your ideal for them? Is it like we hang out less, we hang out this, we hang out that. And then the second thing, which I would say is like, tell them that, you know, Hey, I'm looking to focus on work. And let's say for instance, that what you want to do is, uh, have a more casual relationship. Like, hey, I'm looking to focus on work. I don't think I'm going to have or even want to spend the same amount of time like hanging out all these other things. If you want to continue, I like you and I would like to see you in a more casual setting. But if you don't want to, I totally understand. Like you just figure out what your ideal scenario is and then you speak to them about it. Yeah. Um, because it does take two engaged happy people to make a good relationship and not just two people who are physically present (laughs) Uh, especially given that there's no children and it's only been three months and and you are like people are going to be at difficult times in their life when you decide that you don't want to give them what they perceive to need from you or what you think that they need from you you also just might be over imagining what uh this person needs from you so yeah what i would say is you say what you want she says what she wants if they overlap then you do what you both want and if there's a gap then you part ways and try to find people who meet you where you want so if you say i want a casual relationship she says i'm really looking for something serious say i think you're awesome that's not me so i think we should stop seeing each other and then and then do you want to stay friends or not because you could say we could stay friends if you don't want to stay friends then you don't say that part Mm -hmm. (laughs) like it's really just designing getting clear in yourself what your ideal is and also if they don't want your ideal 
what your continued relationship ideal is. is. It's kind of like, yeah, you just draw a Venn diagram for yourself. You're like, this is what is ideal for me. And within it is what is acceptable and good for me. And then you ask the other, you tell that to the person. Then they say what their ideal and what's acceptable. And if there's overlap, you do the overlap. And if there's not, not then you... Yeah. Like, yeah, this is, none. our acceptables don't match up. Yeah, so. it's, it's actually, it sounds simple because it is simple. It's mm-hmm. not easy necessarily because you might be feeling emotional things like guilt or obligation, but hey, just here's my ideal. Okay, that's not my ideal. Okay, well, if you're not willing to meet me at my ideal, this here's is, what's, here's what's we acceptable. can still be friends yeah, yeah. or we can't be or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I don't want to be your friend. I only want to be your girlfriend because I care about you so much. Okay. Unfortunately, that sounds like yeah, yeah. then we That's can't have a relationship at all. So, yeah. I guess as I'm th- I'm th- it doesn't need to be broken down this analytically, but if I were to create like a, a worksheet of it, it would be like, write down your ideal scenario and then that's your circle. And then it's okay. Write down your acceptables and your acceptables. We are friends. We never speak again. We, you know what I mean? And like all of this and you start with your ideal and you ask them to fill out their ideal and you see the overlap. Okay. There's probably none because there's often none in two people's ideal relationships mm-hmm. And then you can move on to the acceptables. And then you do the same Venn diagram thing. And on your acceptables, we never speak again. <laughs> and, and that's all it takes. That's a trump card. Like for, you know, my acceptable is you uh, have, you are my boyfriend. Okay, that's it. So we're repeating ourselves, but that's that. Uh, last one I have is the interview with, Co- I was watching the interview with Cosmic Skeptic and it reminded me of an interview with Brett Weinstein and Jordan Peterson on Joe Rogan. Uh, they drew the line between factual truth and useful lie. For example, religion. Um, I personally believe that the Bible is factually wrong. However, I still believe that following the principles and living as a Christian will make your life better. It will make the life of your children better, and it will overall help you to solve a lot of problems that you would otherwise not solve. Jordan Peterson goes deeper into this in his lectures. Basically, the idea is that following the religious rules is a sacrifice for your future and your child's future. Thus, my question is, how do you know that even if something is not necessarily factually true, that if you abandon this idea or set of principles, you will not cause more harm than good? Well, I actually think you and Jordan Peterson don't believe what you just said. Because what is, what is the Jordan Peterson quote? Um, that, well, he, he paraphrased. He said, basically, the idea is that following the religious rules is a sacrifice for your future and your children's future. Yeah, I don't think so because you don't stone gay people. Yeah, this is this is the thing with the Bible is that um, we've got this idea that to be a good Christian is the parts that have been cherry picked over thousands of years. But it's like read the Bible. There's a lot that is required to be a good Christian. There's there's um, you know, there's people on the the promenade near where we live that are Jews who have to wrap every to Jew. In. Yeah, uh, I don't know what it's called, but they have to wrap them so that when so that the rapture can happen and all the Jews can go. Like yeah, but to to this point of what if I throw away the tenets of Christianity. I run the risk of being immoral. And if I follow the tenets of Christianity, it's a sacrifice for a better life. Well, this isn't true. If you followed the tenets of Christianity, you'd be in jail because you would have killed someone. Well, or- I'll, I'll give it the best argument. A lot of Christians say, hey, the Old Testament can essentially be thrown out because Christ came and gave us a new pact. Um, and the Old Testament is where a lot of the stuff is. But the greater point is... is Are you having sex before marriage? Yes. Yeah, there's the if gra- you're having if- sex before marriage, then you're going to hell. Like... You have layered on top of the Bible a filter, undoubtedly. Like you do not live, no one except for perhaps the Westboro Baptist Church is looking at this for like literal every word counts and we need to treat them all evenly. Um, So when you say that the principles of being a good Christian, I would argue that you did not derive those from the Bible. While some of them may be echoed and contained in the Bible, they are 
in interaction with your filter as to what you find acceptable in the Bible, and there are good things in there. Um, but if you were an alien and you had no idea of what was right and wrong and you had the Bible as your only text through which to live a good life, I think you'd be in deep, deep doo-doo. Um, but if you take what has been distilled down over time and is like, you know, turn the other cheek, these are all these are all in the Bible and they're all solid ways to live and I think your life is going to be better for it. But I think it's a mistake to say that these generate uh, from the Bible. The Bible, it's almost like an encyclopedia of of different ways to live and things to do and how to handle shellfish and all that kind of stuff. So was there another question about Jordan Peterson and throwing it out? I guess, I guess what I'm saying is I, it's tough for me to arrive at the same conclusion of the question because I share, because I disagree on the premise, which is okay. that, which is that um, the Bible is telling you how to live. I actually don't you, think it is. Yeah. I think, I think no, you're, you're bringing your own morality to the Bible and looking at and exempting everything that doesn't fit that and saying, this isn't what being a good Christian is. It's like, it's actually your own morality that is making the Bible such a beacon of positivity. Yeah, that's my high-level answer. Is you, the, So the question is, how do I be a good person if I'm not following the Bible? And my answer is, you're already being a good person and, you're and not, not following, following the Bible. The Bible. <laughs> yeah. If you were to follow the if you were to literally follow the Bible, even the New Testament, if your neighbor were to do that, I think you would not deem them a good person. And the question is, I mean, have you read it cover to cover? Because if not, how could you possibly be following it? You're only following the summary that is, sur- and, and what the important pieces of the Bible, by the way, throughout history have changed. Like, you know, at one point it was very important to handle apostates a certain way and have crusades a certain way. And, and uh, these were all justified in the Bible. And depending on whether you're Protestant or Catholic, Peter was the rock on which it's built. So the Pope has divine power. Or if you're Protestant, that part of the Bible doesn't really count. Um, so yeah. The other thing, I think I've mentioned it, I talked on the podcast about the lessons of the Bible and how I disagree with Jordan Peterson's charitable interpretations of many. No, I don't think you've talked about that. So I don't know if I've talked about it. I'd love to ask him this question. I think I have said it once. Justin's probably heard it. Uh, When I read Genesis for the first time, one of the things that I took from it is like, you know, you get eventually to Cain and Abel and you say, oh, wow, the first murderer ever, according to the Bible, is Cain. And everybody knows that who has read the Bible. But the question is, who is the first liary, liar in the history of the universe? And if you read the first 10 to 12 pages, you will see it is God. God says, if you eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die this day. And he makes it clear in a sort of inner soliloquy, inner monologue that he has, that he's like, oh no, they've eaten from it even though I told them not to. If they eat from the tree of power, they will surely become like me. So what I take from that as I read it is like, and the snake, by the way, the devil is the one who says, that's not true. If you eat from it, you will become as God. You will get the knowledge of good and evil. You will have morality that is separate from this person who is dictating it to you. And you will decide, for instance, that you don't want to run around naked and have him peeping Tom you. And so when I read this, it's like really tough for me not to see like God is this authoritarian, blindfolding, manipulative liar figure. And it almost in that first few pages says, don't trust this entire book. We're going to tell you that the devil is the snake, but the snake told you the truth, <laughs> you know, like, and if, and if the truth is good, uh, it wasn't coming from God. He, he tried to hide it from you because he wanted 
control over you. And then when you acted out against him, he cursed women and with pain, and he said all these rules, and he cast down the devil who you're going to be the lowest of animals because you told him the truth, and he gave men all of these hardships. And it's right there at the beginning, and I don't know how you view that and go like, this is a, I want to, this is the guy that I need to have on my side looking out for me, and I need to serve him as anything other than a cruel master. So when I read it metaphorically, that's what I get. Um, and I'd love to, it seems like when Sam Harris brings this point out, uh, he talks about the way that Jordan Peterson reads the Bible. If you were to read a cookbook and you say there are three eggs, oh, that's the, the, the trinity of purity. And, you know, he does all of this. And he says, if you're willing to bring that level of intense analysis and your own filter on top of it, you can find value in cookbooks mm-hmm. uh, that give really good life advice. But the question is, was the life advice in the cookbook and the three eggs and that's the three parts of goodness? Or was the value something that you brought to it? So I think that Sam Harris has the right of it there. I think that uh, there's... You wrote a college paper on that, right? Yeah, uh, not really. I wrote a college paper on Gilgamesh and how similar, like if you look at Horus and Gilgamesh and uh, the beginning of, and Jesus in those cases, how um, they're the, the same myth sort of. Yeah. I remember when you you ran me through this. I was a theist. I remember when you ran me through this. You're like, guess who the first liar in the Bible is? It's like, yeah. I don't know, Cain? <laughs> like, nope. God. You read it, man. Blew my I, mind. You can read it for yourself. It won't take a lot well, of time. Well, no, I knew this. It'll, I it'll knew, take seven minutes. Dude, here's the thing. I knew the story, but I was told the story as a child. Yeah. So I was told who the good guys and the bad guys were, and I was five. Yeah, and then we argue over who's so, bad. Was it Adam or Eve? Well, Eve told him to eat it, but Adam decided to. It's like, it was truth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Eve pointed Adam towards truth. He got the truth. They decided that, hey, this naked thing where you look at us all day is kind of messed up. I don't want you doing that anymore. And God's like, <laughs> no, I, I, remember, I remember when you told me and it blew my mind because I, I, I never questioned it for the first 19 years of my life. there's another tree, which is the tree of power. And if they eat that, not only will they have knowledge, they will have power. They will become like me. I cannot have that. Jesus. <laughs> it's like, what an abusive relationship. Um, and why does he get to do it? Cause he created you. I mean, can you imagine if your parents who created you <laughs> came around and said, look, they lied to you your whole life. You find the truth. You're finally starting to get empowered. And then they kick you out of the house and damn you and curse you. And then the only solution is to pray to them asking their forgiveness all the time because you are born into sin. It's just so screwy to me. Anyways, I don't, I know that we have a lot of religious listeners and I don't mean to, I know that it probably find it this way. I don't mean to insult anyone personally, but, uh, the story is to me so mean in so many ways. And if you take the positive pieces of this very thick book and you live a good life and you think it comes from the book, fine, but I would actually give you more credit. I think that those positive pieces come from you and the book is very mixed. Um, so yeah. Anything else? No, I, I already said my piece. All right. <laughs> well, the question was actually... Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I got off of it. Yeah, the question was basically how do you know when, when um, self-deception is useful or not? We, we kind of talked about it ah, in yes. the podcast. So um, self-deception is uh, very useful. <laughs> it's often... I mean, how do you know when it's useful? I don't know that that's the right question. Like, it's useful all the time. Uh, it's useful to treat every gun as if it's loaded. It's useful to treat every sexual partner as if they have, I guess not AIDS, but like an STD that you do not want to get. It's useful to, um, there's many useful things. 
but that presumes that here's the problem, that you know the goal and the best course of action. And the promise of truth is that, look, this might not be useful to your purposes, but it is the case. And so even though you might not survive best, even though you might not get what you want, this is the case. Well, self-deception is also a double-edged sword, and I've mm-hmm. seen this. So you might you might think to yourself, oh, yeah, well, I can think of times when self-deception helps me. But what you don't see are the times that it really hurts you. It's easy to see in other people when someone is in a physically abusive relationship, but they go, no, he loves me and he'll change. And that was a one-time thing. And whatever the self-deception is that keeps them in the relationship. But what you don't see is all the ways that you're doing it yourself and your own life is worse for Mm -hmm. the lies you tell yourself. So that's the thing. It's easy to go, yeah, well, if you act like the gun is always loaded, then you'll be careful. But if you have a policy of self-deception, you won't catch all the self-deceptions. And actually the most dangerous ones are the ones where you don't know that you're lying to yourself. And so you will have things you lie to yourself about that make your life worse and that harm you. Versus if you try, if you strive to, and none of us do it, we all have self-deception. But if you strive to root them out and have as, as few as possible, I believe that what you lose with losing the fact that every gun is loaded you more than gain that you net out to be better off with no self-deception because you can still have a responsible gun policy, which is I'm just not going to point guns at other people mm-hmm. loaded or otherwise. Yeah. I don't need to pretend they're loaded. I just know sometimes they're loaded yeah. and I don't know it. So I never point them at other people. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then on the flip side, you've removed the self-deception that keeps you at the job you hate in the abusive relationship, whatever it might be. And I, I just think that it's really hard borderline impossible to remove the harmful self-deceptions and keep the good ones. I think you have to just try to root them all out and then trust yourself to know a gun might not be loaded, but still not pointing at people because it might be loaded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we tell, you know, kids, we say, don't, we just, it, everything is heuristic. Don't talk to strangers. Like, why do we tell them that there's an implicit, like strangers are bad. It's like, no, but they could be like, you know, always look both ways before crossing the road, even when it's nighttime and I don't see headlights, <laughs> you know, do I have to, we live by these heuristics because they keep us alive and we ingrain those, those ones don't necessarily have, uh, truth claims about the world, but they are implicit in that it is dangerous if you cross the street without always looking both ways. Um, but the bigger one and that you're saying is this is, this is where you get really metaphysical is that sort of what you're saying is like, you'll be better off, but the truth doesn't necessarily make that promise. Like as long as you are committed to your vision of what is good for you, you create space for self-deception. And I have this and everybody has this. But as long as you think like, look, it's best for me to like keep making money and have this job or it's like it's best for me to like be protected and stay in my group of friends or it's best for me to view myself as an ego and a separate entity for the rest of the world and to realize that I was really one with everything would be pretty, would, you know, be ego death and whatever. Uh, then I would die because I wouldn't feed myself. As long as you have that, you create space for self-deception. So yeah, we all have it. You're not going to get rid of it. But probably, to Ben's point, if you lean off of it, you'll actually see that things get much better. Mm -hmm. Um, And I truly believe that, at least in the medium term. Like if people got had less self-deception in their lives, things get much better. But there's probably a point at which you realize that you're your ego is an illusion and you just stop eating and then you die and you could say that (laughs) things are now worse off for that that body. But I guess then your spirit goes into the, you know, I don't know what happens at that point. I'm just making it up. Cool. Yeah. 
I also think that there's, I mean, like I said, with the gun example, I just think that there, the idea that you need to deceive yourself in order to be moral, have gun safety, whatever the example is, I just don't buy. I actually think you can get to the same result without the deception. Mm-hmm. Um, well, sorry, let's just come back. I just want to make sure that I answered. What was the final question? The final question was, so my question is, how do you know that even if something is not necessarily factually true, that if you abandon this idea or set of principles, you will not cause more harm than good? Mm. So here's, yes. Implicit in your idea of harm and good are truth claims about the world. That harm is when people scream and cry, and good is when they say they feel good, and dying is bad, and living bountifully is good. Um, so if you go to like the root bottom of this question, it's that you don't know any of those things. You know what I mean? You might be deceiving yourself for all of those things. So if you were to truly ask questions about all of that, you might just totally redefine harm and good. But I think that that's beyond the level at which you're asking. The short answer is most of the time when you let go of self-deception, even in the world as we view it with the values that we have, it will help you. That's just my life experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you could take it from me or not. I don't have a great answer. It just t- I've seen it be the case. Yeah, anecdotally, I mean, the people I see who the self-deception that they have, that they don't know they have, are keeping them in bad relationships, having, uh, they are stunting their growth in business, stunting their career yeah. success, like even forgetting the enlightenment thing in the physical world, their results are worse. And when they release their self-deception, that's when they get into a better relationship, mm-hmm. leave the shitty one, are able to finally be a successful entrepreneur because they were able to acknowledge their flaws and work on them. Yeah. And their self-deception was making them think they were already good at business. So now their business sucks, but when they see but. the self-deception, they know what they need to train and now bam, they're making more money. So just in terms of what most people define as physical results, health, wealth, mm-hmm. relationships, all of the anecdotal it, it's evidence It's always I have, better when you release self-deception. No yeah. one I know is more financially successful or in a better relationship than, or sorry, because of their yeah. lies to themselves. Well, so, and what always, in all of those cases though, there's a dip. Things get worse. That's why the self-deception is there. It's to protect you from that dip where you go from thinking you're a great entrepreneur, selling how to be really good at entrepreneurship. And then you go, oh shit, I'm not that good. I shouldn't be selling this. I have to learn how to be good. Now I'm not making as much money. But in that time, I've learned how to be really good. I come out the other side and I'm better for it. One one example that we haven't had to deal with, fortunately, we've talked about religious communities, is like, look, let's say that you're in a religious community and you're teetering on the edge of falling out of faith. I do have an example of this. The only person I know who is personally who's left the Mormon church is really happy they did it. Now, I'm not saying that that's a guarantee. This is what I'm saying. I have anecdotal experience of people realizing self-deception. Only one of them was in a extremely tight religious community. But I've asked him and he said he's really grateful that he yeah. stopped self-deceiving himself and mm-hmm. has left that community. And what's interesting is that... Um, it doesn't mean, it's not guaranteed. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's what I'm saying. But I, but I actually do know someone that's had that and they're pretty hyped that they're not Didn't in the... did you say that his, his wife, who is now, he's now not because it was an arranged marriage, uh, had the same realizations as him and but then came to the conclusion, it's like, look... I'm just going to join this and play along because she likes the community aspect. Yeah. But she's still, but she's not, she's not keeping, it's kind of like the gun safety thing. She doesn't have the belief that the community is wholly right in their religious beliefs, but just chooses to live in it because she prefers it. Yeah. So the curse of knowledge, which 
for her, she might go, ah, I wish I didn't know. <laughs> but she's like, whatever. I could she just kept pretend. her friends. Those I she pretend. kept her friends. She kept her family. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's going to get remarried to someone in the Mormon community. Yeah. And he left. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Cool. That's it. All right. Patreon. All right, if you guys enjoyed this, please hop over to our Patreon. We're going to do a bunch more questions. And you see, they often spiral into topics that you would see us cover here on the podcast. So if you want to check that out, any amount gets you into Patreon and uh, keeps Justin paid and keeps the podcast going. So hope to see you there. Later. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.